State of Digital Publishing is a publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this episode, we speak with Kai Hennigus, CEO and co-founder at VI about the state of contextual video advertising. VI delivers an in-stream video experience to users taking an in-article placement to deliver video contents that contextually match the text articles they are presented in. Let's begin. Hi Kai, how are you? Hi, I'm very good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I appreciate you joining us today. Before we go into VI and what it's about, just want to ask you, how's everything going since the acquisition from Outbrain? You know, every day is full of new discoveries because now we're part of a team that's a thousand plus that we've got to learn to navigate. Where initially in a PowerPoint or in an Excel, you see all the potential of, hey, they have 7,000 publishers, let's access them. Hey, they have deals with all the big agency groups, let's work with them. Then you get into the weeds of it, into the nitty gritty, and it becomes pretty intricate. Yeah, just then it's about stakeholders trying to navigate to the first, but yeah, it's just like a, sometimes it's a mind maze working with big companies like that, but you know better than I do. Well, I haven't been through PMI, but there's valid questions, right? Like what contract do you run this on? Who issues invoices? So it's like, it's very real stuff and it's very tricky. And most of it, I mean, there's stuff where you say, okay, I'd, I'd rather wait until it's sorted and not uh, not dive in, like migrating CRMs, riveting stuff like that. But it's all real, right? You've got to get it right. Otherwise, you don't know who earns what commission. All the attribution and then plus also the culture fit and everything else around that as Absolutely. well. Make sure that Absolutely. Got but culturally, I think we're okay. Companies that get stuff done are so very focused on execution while at the same time, they are culturally very inclusive, which I hadn't even thought they were from the outside, but they're very diverse on the inside in terms of backgrounds of people, where they live. It's very cool. Awesome. So, I mean, let's go to the crux of the conversation. I mean, with video contextual advertising, where is that sitting today and how is VI helping with that and doing that in the ecosystem with Outbrain as well? So let's maybe start at the beginning. When we set out in 2017, we said, how can we help publishers surface the right video content on their pages? And we said, we need to bring automation to that and we need to help them because if a big news publisher produces their own content financially, that's a catastrophe. If they license content, often they get quoted very high prices. And we came from a video background. So we said, let's aggregate a lot of video content from tier one sources. Let's then build an engine that reads out a text article, reads out a video for context and finds the right video content to live in the text article to enrich the user experience. That's how we started out. And that worked pretty well. We pitched some big publishing houses. And then the first one in a big publishing group in Austria said, well, this is great, but where's the money? And we said, well, we thought you had a sales team. Why don't you sell ads against it? And they said, no, no, we have a sales team, but they don't know anything about selling video. You do this. And then we realized we needed to get into monetization. So naturally, we started with programmatic with the open market and optimize that, but that only gets you so far. And then 
we went and started building sales teams because it's those premium CPMs that really keep publishers happy. And it was clear that the sales side story of our product was contextual because as we read out the article and the video, we really understand context in depth. So on the sales side, we said, well, we can build interest-based audiences for you. And we take brand pitches every day where we construct these audiences. And sometimes it's super easy and you say it's a no-brainer. You wouldn't need contextual technology for it like like a kid segment, right? No-brainer. But then it gets really tricky. You get this big energy brand that says, hey, we want to target people in their home offices at 3 p.m. who are tired and want a coffee, but they should drink our energy drink. And then it gets Uh really, really tricky how you construct this contextual audience. So this is what our sales guys do then using our platform to find um, where do we show those ads when to hit that audience. And that's our sales side story. Uh, Resonates really well. We drive great KPIs. And Outbrain come from the content recommendation that sits bottom of page, have an amazing publisher footprint with that. And they started, I think, three years ago, launching an outstream unit out of their bottom of page recommendations Mm -hmm. uh, that just pops out and shows an outstream video ad. And that grew to become a business even four times larger than than we are today, simply by virtue of the fact that they have the publisher footprint. But it's not an ultra premium product because it sits bottom of page. It drives lesser KPIs. And they really wanted this prime real estate that sits mid-article. And it became for them a situation where they said, well, if we build it, it takes us two years. Everyone that's in this field already is going to be so much further by then. So who can we talk to out there? And they really liked what we do in terms of quality. We won this prize from Google for highest inventory quality, which kind of speaks to speaks to that. They liked our publisher footprint, the geography. And then um, it became a deal, right? From a conversation, it led to more. And now we're busy accessing those synergies and they have aggressive growth plans for us. So we're hiring in places that I wouldn't have dreamt of going to alone, right? Like Japan, for example. That's awesome. Like you said, it's a different ballgame from running your own thing and and having uh, your own plans. So thank you for going through that story. It really helped conceptualize all that. You mentioned about the competitors and what they're doing now. Like, is you know the announcement of Google not canceling Flock and focusing on topic interest API? I think it's topic API it was called with the third party cookie. You know, going away. Where are you guys thinking at the moment in terms of how publishers need to evolve their contextual video strategy, the sales approach? So, if I've learned one thing in online, it's 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 hardly ever black and white, is all the inventory going to be sold the way we sell it? No cookie, purely contextual? I don't think so. I think first-party data that publishers can collect from logged-in users uh, is Mm. going to become the complement to the contextual side. Google itself, well, if you think about it, every 
now and then when you log into all your tools on your Mac or PC and on your phone, you log into Google so many times, right? There's the browser, there's the search engine, possibly there's the mail, then there's YouTube. They have all the first party data they need. And the question is, what does it do to the industry if they stop sharing for third party targeting? Um, I think it's going to make them even stronger and others in the ecosystem weaker. Hence, this drive for the unified IDs that you see by Trade Desk, for example. I don't know how that's going to play out, but I think the larger publishers who can drive their users into a sign-up will do well out of the first-party data they collect there. And that's that in combination with contextual is as far as that I'd venture to go, how it's going to play out legally around Google having to continue with third party to kind of maintain the ecosystem against the privacy concerns. These are troubled waters. It's That's a tough call to make. It already with Google, and, and, and it's not directly the example, but already with Google Analytics being technically illegal, is there something that particularly publishers in Europe need to be planning for now or anticipating for that they should, with particularly with privacy and first party data, would this event happen? Or? Well, I guess it's... It's shifting sands. I mean, initially, everyone in the countries that we see said they didn't even want to implement consent frameworks, saying uh, it was legitimate interest. And then as late as last year, Q3, Q4 last year, they started scrambling to finally implement consent frameworks because they realized that the argument wouldn't stand. So I think it's continually evolving. It's very hard to make a prediction. I mean, something like Google Analytics, uh, this case in Austria, uh, becoming illegal. Um, we just had a discussion around that yesterday where we said, well, our own website isn't suddenly legal, even though Switzerland isn't technically EU. So there's so many layers. Look, everyone's trying to be diligent in often this is possibly more anecdotal than strategic, but often in commercial negotiations with large publishers, the data processing agreements take longer than the commercial part, right? Commercial part, relatively straightforward. Data privacy is a huge slowdown of getting, getting deals done in Europe. No one knows exactly and everyone wants to get it right. It makes it hard. They always throw a spanner in the work, something new comes up or... Absolutely. Like this political agenda, which I don't want to go down that path now in that conversation, but there's always that. That's influencing that as well. How is Australia on that front? There's no particular like privacy incident laws and stuff, but obviously a lot of publishers are also trying to comply for global audiences like CCPA, you know, GDPR, everything else. But there's no particular privacy consent that has to be applied. Okay. It's just a matter of time. Everyone has their own framework and they'll try to apply that, I think. So we'll see. It's also harder in Europe on small companies when you get individuals pinging us now. I mean, we stand alone. We were a 70-people company pinging us saying, please show me all the personal information you have on me and then delete it. We don't even have any, but then you scratch your head and you think, well, could there be a place where we have anything? And we realize, no, we don't. But it's tricky. I think people try to get away with that, with plugins and stuff like that, but that's not even enough these days as well. Like 
having a public asset management platform is what's needed for particular large publishers. This episode is brought to you by State of Digital Publishing, a platform and network for digital publishing professionals. Become a member and receive access to exclusive insights, reports, how-to guides, ready-to-use templates, and other resources for digital publishers. Click Become a Member to learn more. On the point on the small publisher side, like, do you think for them, at what stage does a publisher need to consider contextual video advertising? Is it when they hit a certain threshold? You know, it's an interesting question. And again, a bit of an anecdote. When we started out, we said there's huge value to be had in aggregating the long tail of smaller publishers. And we built these integrations with WordPress tools that made it really easy to install our contextual unit on their sites. And it worked. We got up to 50 self-signups a day. There was a video player out of Sydney that we partnered with and integrated So we were so happy. And then we realized when we did the analysis that they were driving still a large amount or still demanding a large amount of time of our ad ops to make sure the integrations were working the way the publisher was hoping they would work. While at the same time, they only drove 3% of our revenues. And then we realized what thinking mistake we'd made because brand video advertising is by definition high value advertising that is even expensive to produce for the brands. Sometimes it's luxury goods, car brands, highly recognizable brands that go for top of funnel brand ads, and they want to run on the biggest, best known sites, rightfully so. Those tend to be the Comscore top thousand or top 2000 sites in a market and they simply cut off after that and they said uh, and they say typically they they don't want to see the smaller sites unless you're able to make an argument that like a niche luxury trend site should be on the list but by and large you're much better served with the larger publishers which has meant that we have created a rule that under 200,000 monthly page views yep. in the in the prime market of that publisher, we are not going to make them happy, right? Because if they integrate us, and yes, we surface great video, but no, we don't make the money, it tends to become an unhappy relationship after some time. It's not large, but it's not that, I mean, it's still considered small, but depending on the publisher, but yeah, it's good to know that there is some entry point that it can make it worthwhile. Programmatic advertising, I know it's a lot, lot higher. Some programmatic advertising technology companies look at 2 million or 1 million page views per month. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's positive that it's more of a... It's 200. Having said that, I mean, to us, large publishers that we consider tier one, now that we're part of Outbrain, they consider them tier three or tier four. So there's a whole nother ecosystem of the very world's very largest publishers opening up to us. And we need to almost learn to recalibrate our commercial thinking, like a a site with two to five million page views to us was already a great win, right? But but now, now we need to learn to think a bit bigger also. 
while still serving that segment well and every bit counts, there's potential very large relationships opening up now, which is super exciting. Is that going to be through tech? Like you said, maybe more of an enterprise sales team. How do you feel like you're looking to level up? So we are going, I don't know if this answers the question 100%, but we're going to these largest accounts as separate teams. We're basically getting an introduction from Outbrain. And yet what we do with our contextual video unit is different and special. So it actually becomes a separate pitch. And yes, there are efforts ongoing to integrate our unit into Outbrain's feed, mm -hmm. but you can do that basically automated. You don't have to talk to the publisher about it much. If you imagine like scrolling down a mobile website will become a unit that sits somewhere in that feed. Okay, but we believe we play to our strengths with genuine big news brands sitting in article. And that is a conversation you have to have. That is the prime real estate that you can't just access through an existing deal. You need to have code on page. The publisher needs to be comfortable with the user experience. Some of our biggest publishers even trust us with their own video content that we play back onto their pages because we can do it faster and with more precision than they can. So it's a conversation to be had. You can't just do it because that's not going to drive the optimal user experience and results. And it's a separate conversation to be had. I mean, wouldn't that be still be the case with your core client base though? So when we approach a publisher separately without Outbrain, of course, uh, we've got to explain to them what we do. There's an interesting segment that exists in Outbrain where they already access mid-article placements with their native unit. Yeah. And you can imagine that we deliver probably a better user experience and certainly a much higher CPM uh, with an in-stream video unit. And those integrations are actually going to be a lot of fun because it's an instant uplift, but still a conversation to be had with the publisher because when they're very premium news brands in a market, they want to know what's going on, right? They want to know maybe they have their own video team. So it's always a conversation to be had because our unit sits midway between editorial and commercial. What's your expectations for this year in particular? So, look, the last years have been a bit special in that nobody really knew what was going to happen with COVID. And when it first hit, mm -hmm. I think it was March, April 2020, everyone froze their budgets and nobody knew if the world would continue turning or not. And then all that swung around and people said, Obviously, as you know, also that digital was the way forward. And we have, ever since we started, we've doubled every year. And it looks from the trajectory even before all the synergies without brain that will hit that same trajectory again. I think in some markets, this hyper growth in digital is leveling off, but you can't turn that clock back, right? It was going to happen anyway. 
and it just happened so much faster. Yeah, COVID was the catalyst. It made it quick, like you said, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so the the genie is out the bottle now. And for us, it's more of the same. But what we're especially excited about is uh, we started on web and mobile web, of course, desktop. And then we said there's two platforms missing. That's in-app and CTV. For in-app, we've built an SDK. But for CTV, we never knew how to tackle it. And then... Group M threw us an interesting problem. They said, we buy all the CTV inventory and we know who we're buying from, but we have no idea what we're buying. And you guys contextualize video, can't you help us? And we said, this is a good one. Let's think about it. And now today, um, or last year, we launched a product that contextualizes the video inventory looking at what content is actually playing. And then as the ad call comes, tying what we know about the content back to the ad opportunities through a content ID that gets transmitted to us. So now we can contextualize CTV inventory. And we launched it last August and it was off to a great start. And now we absolutely double down on it uh, with development resources, product management, more partners. We've already got Samsung and Pluto. So out of the gate, we uh, we had a good run and amazing partners, and now we want to broaden that out. And eventually, we'll also get Group M to buy it. So, so well, they, they gave us the, they gave us the nudge, and now it's everyone else taking but, advantage of it. Is it? Oh. <laughs> it's how it goes. They've launched their Finecast product, and and we first needed to map out how we're different. And I think we've done that now, and we'll also start working with them. Just took a bit longer than with the others. You mentioned about uh, some markets plateauing. Is that why you're you're looking into Japan, or like what what are the markets you're seeing that are still opportunity for publishers with a global remit to address to target? For us, this year we have plans for like Central Europe, where we have a couple of big ones missing. We have France and Italy missing. We have UK, Germany. Poland, but so these other big markets we we have missing are where Outbrain have a footprint and we can actually tag on and build our own teams in those markets, sharing resources with them. And then looking further afield, there's Japan on the roadmap, absolutely, which is going to be exciting because I don't know anything about it yet. And then out of our own resources, where Outbrain does not have a footprint, we're also broadening out in Southeast Asia. We launched in uh, Indonesia and Vietnam last year, and we were looking to add um, Thailand and Malaysia this year as well. It was uh, an interesting moment. We launched in Southeast Asia, and then they ran into full lockdowns. And initially, it looked like nice budgets were opening up, yep. and then everything was frozen. <laughs> <laughs> he said, oh, my God. Um, but we stuck it out, and now um, now it's actually going well. And Vietnam is flying, and from there we want to broaden out. Oh, well, I wish you all the best on that. I mean, it sounds very exciting. Did you have any final advice for publishers considering contextual advertising or anything else you want to give advice around? I think contextual advertising and especially contextual video yeah. can produce this magic moment where suddenly the content and the ads are in harmony and they 
produce an effect for users that is positive, where the content is an enriching experience and the ad is not disturbing. And also for the brand advertising, they get drive much better recall sentiment towards the brand when it's in context. I don't know, my, like maybe yours also, my childhood experience on TV is they always had at the worst moments, like a washing powder ad or an ad for something you really weren't interested in. And that that's out of context. That's getting it wrong. That's just buying reach, right? And uh, in context, I think can be so amazing because it becomes an experience when you think back to buying a glossy magazine um, where the ad is always in context. Think a travel magazine or fashion magazine. The ads are all in context with the articles around them, and they're not disturbing. They become part of the experience of leafing through this magazine. And the same has got to come back to online. Just buying the user where they're cheapest is not a virtue. So publishers do well tying in contextual units, I think. Makes sense. And with that, Kai, thank you so much for your time and sharing your story and your insights. And I hope we connect again in the near future with your new updates. Thank Thank you. you. Truly appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing Podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.